Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Apier, your host, and our next guest today is Alan Matisoff, who was encouraged by several people on Facebook to come share his stories after we put the podcast on the Facebook group for the former SLOC staff. Alan, welcome. How are you? I am doing excellent. Loving life and looking forward to this little podcast. I'm so glad that you're looking forward to it, and I'm glad you're loving life. And speaking of life, where are you living these days? I live, we built a home a couple of years ago here in Florence, Oregon, which is right on the Oregon coast, right in the center of the state on the Oregon coast, west of Eugene. And it is paradise here. It's where all the uh, you see all the photographs taken along the Oregon coast. It's a 8,500 person little community with an old town in it, and it's a maybe a tourist spot and a place for retirees to live. Well, that sounds wonderful. I mean, I can't wait to come up there to, to that Oregon area. Um, I'm hoping to get up there sometime soon. Um, well, it might be later than soon because uh, the World Athletics Championships are going to be held in Eugene in 2022. Mm. And so hopefully I'll be up in your neck of the woods at some point. We're here to talk about the stories of Salt Lake 2002. So we're going to wind the clock back with you about 20 years or so. Alan, maybe you can tell us, A, what your role was in Salt Lake, and B, how you arrived in Salt Lake. Well, my role, my official title on my business card was general manager for Olympic transportation, Olympic family transportation, which meant mainly the motor pool. I was in charge of bringing all the cars from General Motors into the Olympics, getting them distributed out, getting them back to General Motors, plus running the main motor, the main motor pool, call up motor pool, the uh, car rental center we had, the uh, you know that, that type of information, just all the vehicles and the volunteer drivers. How did you join the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? Oh, sorry, that was uh, Tom Halloran, the director of transportation. He called me, and I guess I was the first transportation guy hired by him. I've known Tom Halloran since the uh, early 70s. He and I were both policemen together on the Pasadena Police Department. Uh, Both of us, and Tom especially, got involved with uh, sports planning, doing the Rose Bowl game, doing the Rose Bowl parade, and the big events in Pasadena. And I worked most of them. And so, uh, and I did some other things in 1984. I worked for the LA Olympic Organizing Committee. I took a leave of absence from the, uh, my current employer at the time, which was the San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Department. I was a deputy sheriff. And we did those. And that was just a fantastic time during the LA game. So he called me up with this. And by then, my kids, I uh, was living in Thousand Oaks, California. My kids were growing up, moved out. My wife and I said, hey, sounds like a good adventure. Let's go. So Tom called me, recruited me, and end the story, I guess. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So your Olympic roots go back way far, back to 1984. Yes. yes. That is so cool. Now, going from Southern California, where you lived a long time, and then coming up to Salt Lake City, that's a bit of a change in elevation, a change in climate, a change in culture. How was the move 
uh, the or the transition from Southern California up into Salt Lake City? It really wasn't bad at all. I, you know, I had never lived anywhere where there's snow. So I had been to the snow only when I drive there long distance. So having we lived up at point of the mountain up there over where the hang gliding park was. And uh, we got lots of snow. And quite frank, I sort of frankly, I enjoyed it. My wife loved it. We bought a home there and uh, that was it. I, I it really didn't bother me. You got to get used to driving in snow, but it wasn't a big deal being a, a cop. You know, you get used to driving anywhere. So it, it was great. I, I loved it up there. I loved the people. I, that was the biggest seller to me was the people of Utah. Great. Well, speaking of the people, you mentioned Tom. I'm sure you worked with a lot of great people there in transportation and also in other functional areas there in the organizing committee. Who were some of the people that you worked with that you just really enjoyed working with? And I know it's hard to name names because the list is probably long, but but some of the larger than life people or some of the people that were just really super funny. What can you tell me about some of the people that you worked with? Well, two of the people I worked with were also people I worked with in 84 at the LA Games. It was uh, Larry Faroli, who has since passed away. Larry passed years ago. Um, Mike Aguilar. Uh, those two guys I've known, you know, since 84. And then I had the people who worked for me that were fantastic. I mean, I had right off the uh, Matt Dunn. Matt Dunn was the guy that ran the motor pool for me. Uh, Rob DeMeo uh, was the guy that uh, sort of ran the uh, – uh, rental car, which is the first time I think in history that any Olympic committee had rented the cars out. I don't know if General Motors was really happy about it, but it was quite a good moneymaker for the Olympic company. Rob did it just like he'd been doing it every year. It's fantastic. And then I, I have uh, guys in the office, Brett Milburn. Um, gee, I can't even think of all the Bob, Bob Perry. Uh, uh, gee, I can't, uh, I can't even remember all the names beyond you, but these are just some guys that are, and we played golf together, a lot of us, you know. Uh, David McRae, uh, commonly referred to as David McRae. He was from Scotland, and uh, David's a great guy. We also played golf. I, you know, I played a lot of golf, but I was, I was there in, uh, in Utah. There were just so many great people. It's just hard to name them all, you know. Yeah, that's one of the things that I loved about the organizing committee. The team was really, really great. And I I know some of those people that you mentioned there, or I've worked with some of those people since the, the games. And so it's it's just fun to hear fun to hear all of those names. You know, one of the things that I really loved about the transportation in the Salt Lake Organizing Committee was the the partnership that they had with General Motors and the ability for staff to lease the cars yeah. at really inexpensive prices, which included the insurance. It was a screaming deal. Yeah, that, that was good. And, and it stepped in. We had a, it was an area I remember down at the motor pool, the main motor pool that was upstairs. There was a little um, room upstairs that was, and I had three people that had worked for me up there. All three of them were former army colonels and uh, one of them was in artillery. One was former helicopter pilot in Vietnam. I can't remember. There was three of them. And we called it the Eagle's Nest up there. They were all full Army colonels. And uh, they got involved with the, had the head of the uh, Utah National Guard, the general. I met him. 
And, uh, you know, it was just, I mean, I can't even tell you how great it was. And what's the best thing for me, there are people that that worked their first Olympics in Utah and to this day are still doing Olympics and special events. Like we mentioned, Rob DeMeo, uh, Rachel Weishar, you know, I... Uh, you know, I it's you know I had well I had a gentleman uh, uh, from Aus- from Australia helping me. I had you know they're just so I can't even remember how it was, but that was nice to know these started careers for these people. I guess. Yeah, I'm one of them. I'm still in this movement. Yeah. On a couple of occasions, I've tried to escape the orbit of the games, but it keeps pulling me back yeah, in. Yeah, I bet it's it's addicting. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but your friends there on Facebook were saying you've got some stories. So we want to hear some good stories here. Well, I'll start off the most uh, embarrassing one that everyone that Sharon was talking about and some of them. It had to do with uh, this was during where the uh, the uh, Clinton Lewinsky thing was going on. And there was a lot of jokes going back and forth on the Internet, um, none of which I would ever post on for Slack. But I was on at my email and I got one that was I thought was hilarious. So I was going to forward it, forward it to another great guy named Van Alford. And his name, last name with Alford started with A.L. Well, right next to his name, I just clicked wrong, was all Slock, A-L-L-S-O-C. So instead of sending it to him. Everybody got it. Everybody, including Mitt Romney, the director of human resources, who I got a call from in the morning. Well, luckily for me, I get to work real early. This is when I was uh, before I was in the motor pool, I was up in the high rise building downtown. And I came I come in at 7 a.m. So I get there at seven and then I look and there was a response from the director of human resources saying, uh, that wasn't really a proper thing to send. I said, what is she talking about? And I looked at it, OMG, what did I do? And so I just started, I sent another one to All Slock with an apology. I started doing some damage control the next morning early. So I had it going out to everybody. I made a mistake. I sent her a direct apology. And I just wondered where I was going to work the next day or by the end of that day. But they handled it well and everything was fine. That was a, that was what made me, I don't want to say famous, but infamous, I guess. Uh, so like, and no one ever forgot that one, and no one, I think, ever will. You know, there's, a, the, you know, there, well, there's one more story I, I should mention. It has to do with Brett Milburn. Brett, who now is a county commissioner uh, there in Utah. Um, I forgot what county is, but it's there where uh, Bonneville is, that area. He's a county yeah, commissioner there. I think it's uh, Davis County, if I remember. Yeah, okay. And, and Brett, I would vote for president if he ran, but... <laughs> Anyway, uh, it was the day they had the big tornado that hit downtown. And I went, I was going to lunch with Mike Aguilar. We were walking to a restaurant. And as we're coming back, I, it started getting really windy and things are blowing at us and starting to pelt us. I said, man, it's getting, I said, look back over there. There's a fire. There's, it looks like a cloud of smoke coming up. It's a fire. I'm from California. I wouldn't know what a tornado looked like when it hit me. So, and all of a sudden we started hearing boom, bang, the transformers blowing on the poles and this cloud of smoke, I thought it was from a fire. So we, we, they were right by a post office. We ran into the double door sets of post office to hide from that thing. And I said, I don't want to walk farther back to the thing. We better call. So I called Brett. Would you, could you come and pick us up? The wind's real bad. 
I didn't know it was a tornado. So Brett being the great guy that he is, he gets in one of the slack vehicles downtown and drives in the middle of a tornado to pick us up. <laughs> and uh, he did. And we drove back and didn't know what I saw that what I thought was a column of smoke was the tornado. It was probably two blocks from us. It was just cutting right through downtown, just coming up from, uh, I guess it was from the west towards the east, going northeast. And uh, we didn't even, until I got back, I didn't even know it was a tornado. And I put poor Brett life in danger, but that was uh, that was some story. So I got to pat him on the back too. Another great guy. Oh, that's a great story. Now, I didn't join SLOC until 2000, so I missed the tornado. I was working up in Seattle, Washington, and my wife called me. And she said, we just had a tornado. I said, ah, you got to be kidding. No, no, I'm serious. We had a tornado. We never have those in Salt Lake City. So that was really, really crazy. One of the things about Olympic Family Transport is you have to get a lot of drivers, right? So you've got the T1, the T2, T3 cars. You got all these drivers. Um did you have any challenges trying to find drivers or trying to find good drivers or were all the drivers just spectacular? I'll tell you, that was the best part of the entire job. You had no problem finding drivers. People in Utah, without a doubt, and I've worked a lot of events. I mean, big events were up in Alaska, everywhere. And I have never seen volunteerism as good as it was in Utah. And the quality of the volunteers was amazing. I mean, it was fantastic. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. Everybody was punctual. You know, it was just unbelievable, really. You know, you usually got a lot of problems. And I can't remember any problems that we had. Um, I do have one a story about inside the office that I had, I was... I was down at the motor pool, which is, I don't even remember where, it's like 33rd South, somewhere by a Chevy dealership down there, but it was a big giant room, and the out, it belonged to Questar Gas, and they had let the Olympic company use it. It formerly was the headquarters for um, the uh, a chemical company there, owned by, uh, uh, who's the guy that built, I can't remember his name, built half of the University of Utah. Uh, he owned a chemical company. I'm trying to think it of his was, name. Uh, Hunts, Huntsman. Yeah, Huntsman. John Huntsman. And so we took over the building, and I got a corner office that was John Huntsman's office. That was a gigantic office with a 12-person uh, conference table, had all walnut walls and a marble fireplace in it. I mean, so that's the office I had. But uh, it, so the whole inside of that building was set up with nothing but folding chairs so we could do driver training. And usually when we had a driver training session, Tom Halloran, the director of transportation, would come in and address everybody. And I just remember one time when I'm watching him address, there was a couple hundred people in there, two or three hundred people in there. And he's addressing them. And one guy kept asking the same question over and again. I don't it had to do with um, if you make all your shifts, you would get a, a reward, some kind of a prize, be like a wallet or some kind of a gift you get. And if you make three things or do something, but the number was three. And the guy kept asking, well, how many of those do you have to do? And Tom said, the second time, three. And everyone started looking around at the guy. I said, okay. So finally, <laughs> this is what got me. Um, the guy asked the question again. So Tom, rather than answer him, steps up, takes his right foot, and starts slapping it on the ground like a horse would do three times. One. He didn't answer. the. He just did it like a horse counts to three. 
So, and I, I had to leave the room because my the tears were coming down my face. I was laughing so hard, poor guy. But it made a hit with everybody in there. Everybody loved the guy that made it finally realized. Yeah, maybe I did answer that a few times or something. So uh, it was great. It went over well. That's one moment I never forgot in the training, though. The greatest people ever were the drivers. I was just, I couldn't have been happier. You know, one thing that's a challenge in some events with drivers is they need more drivers than the local supply is available. And so they have to bring people from out of town. And sometimes they don't know where to go. They get lost. Do you have any instances where drivers got lost trying to find venues or other places? No, I, I really don't. Most of the drivers got they had familiarization uh, familiarization training before that, where they knew where all the venues were. They knew when they were some were assigned to one person the whole time, so that wasn't the thing they knew. Well, this person wanted to go there, and they wanted to go to restaurants, or they want to go there. So. Those people were always usually local people that knew the area well. And I don't recall any problems. There may have been, but it was nothing that was brought to my attention that someone got lost uh, or whatever. But um, no, no, no that, that just wasn't a problem in Utah. Yeah. And the nice thing about Salt Lake City is built on a grid system. So it's pretty easy to find uh, street addresses there in Salt Lake City. Even if you don't, if you haven't been there before and you don't know exactly where it is, usually it's pretty easy to find some places. Yeah, you're right. Once you learn the system, yeah, 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 you can't, you can't get lost. You can't, you know, you get right close. It's like a, you know, one of these kind of things. You just, yeah, no, I can't do that on on audio, can I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us listening at home, uh, Alan's making a grid with his hands on the camera. So yeah. just picture that in your mind—a grid with hands on the camera. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, give well, me a break. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm with you, man. And I can't believe it's been this long since the since the games in Salt Lake. You know, it's been a yeah. long, long time. Um, what other fun, interesting stories do you have for us today, Alan? Well, one I'll tell you something that just hit me again that someone else did remind me of on the when when during the emails there on the Facebook. Um, I was lucky enough. They, I mean, everyone remembers that they had the all slot meetings. I think they were at the Marriott where we go over there. They had all the whole, uh, you know, slot people would meet there and they'd have a program set up. And uh, the first time they held was it, the first or second time they held it, I was asked to be the MC. But it was pretty early during the, so only probably that was probably 19. 99, 2000 or something like that. I was asked to be the MC. So I wouldn't know what to do. They just gave me an agenda and said, here, here's 10 minutes. Just tell a story, whatever you want. So, I mean, I don't know what stories to tell. I mean, I hadn't been there that long. And uh, this is I, right after Mitt Romney came there because I was there. I was one of the first 50 people there. And uh, that's when it was under uh, the other gentleman. So, but anyway, so I told him, I didn't know what to tell. So the only thing that was new to me that I thought was really a sort of story of my life, not story in my life, was when I had a, uh, a sigmoidoscopy. So I gave, I just decided to give a blow-by-blow description of how I had a sigmoidoscopy laying on the table with a rubber hose business and all this. And I don't, I started telling, it was a true story. And, and part of the thing was, you know, when, when you're, 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 when you have it, unlike a colonoscopy, a sigmoidoscopy, you're wide awake when you have that. So they have this hose 
you know, going up there. There's garden holes, whatever it is. And uh, I'm sure the doctor hears jokes and stuff when that's happening. So I mentioned to him and I finally and I, I said, are you about the end of the line here, man? Because it's getting crowded up there. And uh, he goes, oh, there's a little bit more right here. And he said, shove the hose in a little. And I put my hand in. I'm laying. I'll have to do this visually now. I mean, uh, I, I'm laying on my side. I put my hand in front of my mouth. I said, hey, doc, can you see my hand? And uh, I guess that was a new one he had never heard. Biggest mistake of my life. He starts laughing. And while he's laughing, he's holding that hose. And he's, ah, and I'm laying on the table, sideways, jump, flopping like a fish out of water while he's laughing. So I told that story, and I don't know if it was maybe the right or wrong thing to do. So Mitt Romney's sitting in the front row. So I sort of looked down. I said, oh, my goodness, maybe I shouldn't have told that. I looked down. I, I think he's smiling or laughing. So I said, maybe I'm okay. So that's uh, that's one that really sticks in my mind, too. And uh, that was <laughs> that was a fun time, but that was the last time I was ever asked to be the MC. Also, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! <laughs> I'm I'm trying to laugh silently because I don't want to interrupt the story or muddle the sound. <laughs> but oh my gosh, that is so hilarious! I wish I would have been there to see that one. Well, wow. you know, I'll, one more thing, if I mentioned, I think it was. I don't know if it was after that or before that, but uh, Mitt Romney writes about it in his book that he had an award called the Lima Bean Award. I don't know if you remember that. That was an award that he had that it had to do with his childhood where you, it's an award for somebody that gives one for the team or something like that or gets, or you know, you, you're forced to eat lima beans when he was a kid. So he's talking about something you're forced to do, but you do it anyway for the team or whatever. And I was nominated for that and I actually won it. So it was in that same room that Mitt Romney awarded me the Lima Bean Award, which I still display proudly at my home. So my question to you is, did you get the Lima Bean Award before or after emceeing the All Hands meeting? I would think it had to be before, because I don't know what I, I don't want to would nominate me after that MC job I did. I'm just <laughs> yeah. guessing. I'm wondering if Mitt is sitting there and thinking, man, I, I, maybe I made a mistake with the Lima Bean Award. I wonder if I can get it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that could be. <laughs> oh, my goodness. These stories are amazing. Um, before we finish our podcast, any other fun stories? Um. No, that's about the only ones I could come to my mind right now. You know, I'm sure there's a lot more. I, I was at Nagano. I love that to death. And uh, uh, who's the old John Nord? I want to mention his name. He was a Olympic uh, consultant that he worked for the Department of Transportation, ended up being the director. I don't know if he still is now, but he was end up being the director of the Department of Transportation. He was a great guy. Uh, him and Bob Perry were the two guys from the DOT that worked with us in transportation. They were both geniuses to me, as far as I'm concerned. All right, wonderful. Now, what was your journey? Because you had a long career before you even came to the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. But after the games ended, then what did you do? Did you continue working in tra in transportation and major events, or were you doing other things? What was what was uh and I guess the way I would ask this question is, what was the legacy of the Salt Lake 2002 games for you, both personally and professionally? Well, one of the legacy was that I was lucky enough, if you remember, 9-11 happened during during that time before the games. Uh, at the time, my youngest daughter was was in the Peace Corps. 
and she was in a country called Moldova next to Russia. And after the 9-11 thing happened, things got a little rough over there. And so, I mean, I, I made phone calls myself to New York, trying to get her out of there because apparently uh, wherever they had her put her living with the family, the guy was part of the Russian mafia. So it would leave the home with a baseball bat and a gun in his car. So I got my daughter to come back. She came back. I said, just come to Utah and stay with us to, you you know, get yourself settled. And she had a boyfriend. So I, I said, I hope he's not in Moldovan. No, he's, he's another. Piece. So she brought this guy with them. They ended up getting married. And uh, so my daughter, I, both of them, we, we needed people to work in the uh, part of the transportation. I got them job. They're working at the airport, helping load the, the bus and get the right people on the cars and doing this. And, and uh, they loved every minute of it. They just didn't even want to leave. They, so that made me so happy too, that I you get rest of my, my other parts of my family involved. My youngest daughter, it's a great memory for her. Oh, absolutely. There's uh, something about being able to share the games with your family. That is really indescribable. Okay. Now we come to the final home stretch of our interview we've got our assignments that we talked about at the beginning the yes. three questions i ask everyone the first question is a song is there a song that when you hear it today it just immediately takes you back to the period of the late 90s early 2000s makes you think of the salt lake 2002 games you know what it's gonna sound funny but the song that i think about relates to the games and i still hear it now and then it always reminds me it's it's from the movie. Um, can't remember the movie. It's uh, with uh, Tarantino. Uh, the name of the song is called "A Man of Constant Sorrow." It's it's Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and it's uh, if you've seen that song, it's a great movie. And it's a uh, anyway. It, and anyway, the song is Oh Brother. It's called "A Man of Constant Sorrow" with the. Uh, called the, the Soggy Bottom Boys that sang this thing in the movie on stage. And I, I'm George, uh, I can't yeah, think of it. George Clooney was in it, right? It was a Coen Brothers movie. Yes. John Tur Tur Tortino or whatever his name is. or I can't yeah, remember John that. Turturro. John Turturro. Yeah, well, anyway, we uh, the, uh, when the games were over, or just about over, I can't remember, We the transportation department had a – I think the last or Christmas party in 2001, that's what it was. Christmas party 2001 at a local place downtown, and they had karaoke going on in there. And I just remember when three people, it was the lead singer was Mike Aguilar, and I'm trying to think who the other two guys were that were with them. I remember, but they're all slot guys, and they, they must have practiced that song because they did it so well. And I don't know why that song just sticks in my mind. Other than closing ceremony song, that song just reminds me of the Olympics. You know, they had a, I got up and did a song for another, for Amber Gillette. Her name was, uh, and she, she still lives in Utah, Amber. But she, she now got married, has children. But I sang a song for her on there, uh, the old uh, uh, 16 Tons. She was came from Helper, Utah. Where it was the, the mining town where they used the uh, the trains to load all the coal mines and stuff. So I sang the song 16 Tons to her on there. I think I had a few beers at the time, but anyway, that was it. But uh, that, that's what comes to mind. Well, that makes karaoke better, right? After you've oh, lubricated yeah. the vocal cords. Yeah, it gives you the nerve to get up to the microphone.
Now let's turn from song to food. My food question, was there a particular place that you like to go to eat, either for breakfast, lunch, or dinner when you were working there at the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? Yes, there was one place that I liked for lunch and dinner that actually was part of one of the stories I told you about the tornado. When I was going to lunch that day, we were coming back from the Blue Iguana, and uh, that's where we had walked to for lunch, myself and Mike Aguilar. And I love that. I'm a Mexican food fanatic. I grew up in East L.A., you know, East part of Los Angeles. I grew up with it. I love it. I could eat it three days a week, and I just love that restaurant. Uh, that's a great memory. I lived in Mexico for a time. I love mole, and nobody has better mole than the iguana restaurants, Red Iguana and Blue Iguana. Yeah. All right. Great memory. Now for our final question, you've told us so many great stories, a lot of fun stories, but is there a story or an experience that you had where when you think of it today, it just gives you the chills. It gives you the goosebumps, a super inspiring, uplifting story. You know, my story is closing ceremonies. I was, took my wife there. We sat there closing ceremonies. And when I hear that song, which I have at home, that song, the, the Olympic uh, theme song, that it just gives me chills to this day. And when we were there at the closing ceremonies, it just gave me five years of flashbacks to all the planning we did, all the side trips we have taken, all the people I met, I worked with. And all, it, it was just, there was just nothing negative at all in the five years I spent there on those games. And that's uh, just the great memories. I'll never, ever forget the people and the volunteers of Utah, how great they were. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing those memories. Those ceremonies were great. They were a huge amount of fun. It was like a massive party. Uh, everybody yeah. just having a great time there at the conclusion of the game. So thank you for bringing that up. My pleasure. And Alan, thank you again so much for the time and helping us walk down memory lane, uh, as the old cliche goes, and reliving some of these stories. Now, we found each other on Facebook through this chat. Is that the best way for people to, to uh, stay in touch with you if they want to share these memories with you? Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. Anytime. Um, you know, anyone wants to be, I'd love to talk to anybody or just meet with or be part of I always check with uh, uh, Daniel. Daniel has always got his, his stuff on there, uh, all the way from downtown Tooele, I'm sure, is where Daniel's from. And uh, I miss it. You know, I just, I will ask, you know, in April, it was April or, yeah, April of 2002, a bunch of us, 10 people, went on a cruise. And uh, Maureen Machado, who was it? Adrian Nardi, uh, Tom Halloran, our you know, spouse. It was a great cruise. We all went on a cruise to the uh, Caribbean. So that, that's another memory that is just so great for me. Uh, that's a fitting conclusion. It, I think one of yes. the best outcomes or best legacies yeah. is just the relationships that were formed there in Salt Lake that continue on to this day. So thank you for sharing that experience with us and sharing all of your stories. For me, it was hilarious. I really, really enjoyed it. Had a great time. People, please like and subscribe to the podcast and listen to all of these wonderful stories. I will. And Alan, thank you again so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you.